I want to start with the corny jokes of the day. I got three of them. There are three kinds of people in the world, some that are good at math and some who aren't. (laughs) Have you guys... I just catch up. Um, have you ever, who's rode a horse in the last 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay. Last year? Okay. Well, my wife and I, uh, for our anniversary, we went horseback riding, and I realized I really like cars. <laughs> but, um, so imagine this on a horseback riding adventure, Okay. For fast riders, we have fast horses. For riders who are slow, we have slow horses. For those who have never ridden, we have horses who have never been ridden. (laughs) Should work out pretty good. And lastly, I didn't make it to the gym today. It's five years in a row now. Okay. That's all I got. Those are bad. Today, I talk about remembering the culture that Jesus created. Um, in July of last year, my wife and I moved to LeClaire, Iowa. Have you ever been to LeClaire, Iowa? Anybody? Raise your hand. We've been to LeClaire. Okay. Cool. So we moved to LeClaire, Iowa, and we've been there a year. And so I can kind of give you an update on like what LeClaire's done in the last year. LeClaire... Um, and when we first moved there, we uh, had a karaoke party. We were there about two months, and it was 9, I think like 9.15 at night, and we got a knock on the door <laughs> and, it, and from the cops coming and telling us, turn down the karaoke machine. We're talking like the karaoke machine, you know, just like a little thing with a microphone. It's too loud! Okay, so we did. We turned it off. And, um, and then the other thing that we've done in LeClaire is... Uh, we have, <laughs> um, they have installed uh, speed cameras everywhere. There's, there's speed cameras all over the place. The entire city is speed cameras. Uh, no matter where you go, there's going to be a speed camera on you. And so, yeah, this is what LeClaire's done in the last year. The other thing that they did is they sent out an ordinance that everybody should have quiet mufflers that if you have too loud of mufflers that we're gonna pull you over, that you're gonna get in trouble for the loud mufflers in LeClaire. Do you know who LeClaire is the hometown of? Bill Cody, right? So Bill Cody was uh, a guy who would actually go out and do Wild Wild West shows and he traveled the United States doing these shows to kind of bring people in on what the Wild Wild West was, right? And so, but he was the first person that took being a, an actor, you know, a theatrical person out into the streets. He was actually Bill Cody out in the streets as well as he was on the stage. And so it's like, it's pretty much Batman being, so Christian Bale is walking around town in his Batman outfit, in his costume and ordering a caramel latte at Starbucks. And they say, uh, who, who ordered this? And he says, Batman. Of course, he's standing in line waiting for us. This is what Bill Cody did, you know? So Batman doing Batman type stuff off the stage. <laughs> this is his life. And so I've just been kind of curious, you know, what would Bill Cody think of LeClaire today? His name was Wild Buffalo Bill. You know, the dude was wild. He was crazy. 
Uh, a lot of people thought that about him. I've done a lot of research on him, and he was wild. He was very, very wild. In, in, this, in wild Buffalo Bills hometown, no loud mufflers, okay? We don't want any loud mufflers here. No karaoke past nine. This is wild Buffalo Bills town. We tend to forget the culture created when the person leaves. We tend to forget what the culture that he created when he's gone. You know, we start to get comfortable again, and you see that so many times. The culture that he created, what would he think of it today? We're concerned about, you know, one mile an hour over the speed limit. This is... This is LeClaire, but this is also the end of Nehemiah, the book that we've been studying. Nehemiah leaves and goes back to his job, and he left with the culture for everybody, and then he goes back to his job, and they completely forget everything he worked for. You're going to see that at the very end of the book. We're at chapter 13 today. Nehemiah went to Jerusalem to reestablish the wall. He was building a wall to protect the city. The city had been destroyed. He goes there, reestablishes a wall. He gets everybody on board. Everybody's working together in unity. He's like the best general contractor ever. Once they get the wall reestablished, he invites Ezra in to come speak God's commands on what it means now that we have a wall, now that you can worship in the temple again, here's what it means to be the people of God. And so Ezra comes and he reads the commands to him. And as Ezra's reading them, they're explaining them because there's a lot of depth through each one. So what are you trying to say here? So every single time that he would read a command, they would explain it in their own language. They would under, have an understanding of it. Okay, let's move on to the next command. And so this is what Nehemiah does. So they understand the commands of God and what it means to be God's people. And then they actually take an oath and like write their name on the dotted line. We will be the people of God. We will follow God's commands. Whatever that looks like, okay, whatever Ezra said to us, that is what we're gonna follow. And so they wrote their names on the dotted line. But then Nehemiah leaves and he goes home. And so we're gonna see in in chapter 13, after Nehemiah's home, do they follow through with the commands that God has invited them in on? You're going to see this. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray, and then we're going to jump right in. So Lord, we just thank you so much that um, you have great plans for today. And Lord, so for each one of us in this room, would you just remind us of your heart for us, the passion that you have for us, the love that you have for us. Lord, would you just speak very, very clearly what it is that you want to say in our lives? Have your way, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's thank you that your word is alive and living. And um, as we open it up, as we have hearts to hear what it is that you want to say, Lord, you always speak. You always speak clearly. And so I just invite you to just speak through me. I choose to get out of your way. Would you speak directly through me to your kids? In Jesus' name, amen. So the three things that, um, before we jump into 13, the three things that the people, if we could sum up what Ezra had read to them, the people committed to were, the first one was they wouldn't work on the Sabbath, which means they're gonna have one day out of the week where they're gonna gather together, they're gonna worship God, but there's not gonna be any work to be done. 
And the other part is, is they won't even participate with anybody that is working on the Sabbath. So if, if you open a business up on a day of the week and it's like a horrible day of the week, right? You're not gonna keep your business open. Like that makes sense. So that's what they supported. That's what they committed to. They're not gonna work on the Sabbath. The other thing was is that they're not gonna marry people that don't have God as their number one priority, they had arranged marriages, and so people would actually arrange their marriages with people that worshiped God, Yahweh. That was one thing that they committed to. And the last thing was, was uh, to tithe, to, to keep the church going, to keep the temple going, to take care of the priests, to take care of the Levites, that there would be food and grain, and there would be finances to have a, a functioning temple to worship God in. Those were the three things that they committed to. And so we're going to read chapter 13. I'm going to pick it up at verse 4. And then um, let's kind of skip around, and then we'll end the book of Nehemiah today. Hmm. I'm kind of sad about that. I'm the only one. <sighs> Before this, Elisha, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had been provided him and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offering and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain new wine and olive oil prescribed for the levites musicians and gatekeepers as well as the contributions for the priests so it says before this it's it's talking about what's happening um as the people are gathered together again, they're finally working together as a, as a, a city. And, um, and then what ends up happening is everybody's bringing in grains and uh, supplies to supply the priests, the Levites, with, with air, stuff that they can eat. And then also the musicians, because it says that there's wine, and we all know musicians drink a lot of wine. Just joking. Uh, so, but what's... What's crazy in this is he, they actually opened up the storerooms of the house of God and he was closely associated with Tobiah. And he opened up this room for Tobiah. So Sam Ballot and Tobiah have been, if you remember this entire book, Sam Ballot and Tobiah have just been thorns in Nehemiah's side. Like from the very beginning of this book, the entire time just contra- uh, contradicting everything he's saying, always pressing him, uh, trying to pull people aside and getting them on their side. And so one thing that's kind of interesting is they actually, as, as soon as Nehemiah leaves, Tobiah's already been pulling strings to have a room in the temple of God. And so as soon as Nehemiah leaves, now Tobiah steps in all this work that he's been doing behind the scenes and starts to work his little way so that he can actually have some of the grain, some of the wine. But while this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah writing us. For it was the 32nd year of Xerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil things Elisha had done providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then put them back in, back in their equipment in the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites 
had not been given to them and that the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their fields. So what was Tobiah doing? He was actually robbing the Levites and the musicians from eating and having something to drink. And so all the Levites and the musicians go back to Nashville. (laughs) They go back to their fields because they didn't have anything to eat in the house of God. Nobody's providing anything for them. So they're like, okay, well, I guess I gotta go work in the fields. So now the temple doesn't have musicians and it doesn't have people to get stuff done around the temple. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. If you remember the contract that they signed, that they signed up for as God's people, it says at the very, very end of it, it says, we will not neglect the house of God. That's what, that was the number one thing that they signed. We will not neglect the house of God. And so Nehemiah pulls them back in and says, then why is the house of God neglected? Let's jump to uh, verse 15. In those days, I saw the people of Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all the other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People of Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish of all kinds and merchandise and selling it in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. So we said we're not going to work on the Sabbath, but yet alone, you know, times are hard. We start pressing wine, and then people are bringing in fish because people are going to buy fish. So like all of a sudden, the Sabbath just becomes another day of the week. Then lastly, uh, verse 23 Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of the other peoples and didn't know to speak the language of Judah. So it wasn't necessarily that they were marrying different people from other nations or other cities. It was that Ashdod had a king. Their god was Dagon. And so what would happen is you'd marry somebody who has worshiping a totally different God than you, and then you try to bring the marriage together, and it's really, really tough. A house divided does not stand. And so what did they agree upon? They agreed upon that we would keep the house of God. They wouldn't neglect the house of God, that they would tithe. The other thing that they agreed upon, that they would keep the the Sabbath, they would keep a day holy, set aside one day out of the week. This is God's day. I'm not going to work. I'm going to not purchase things. I'm going to actually set aside a day and keep it holy. And then they agreed upon only marrying people who had God as their God, Yahweh as their God. So what did they follow through on these agreements? How many of those agreements did they follow through on? None. Followed through on, on none of them. Nehemiah helped them. He, he encouraged them. He taught him, taught them. He was, he was a great leader. Was it Nehemiah's fault that they didn't follow through on this stuff? But as soon as he left, people went back to what's most comfortable. They completely forgot about the culture that Nehemiah created. Nehemiah gets so frustrated with them, so frustrated. 
with the people. He's just so frustrated. I mean, if you read the book, like, he gets physical with the people. He's so angry with them. Like, how can you guys forget this? Nehemiah keeps coming back to these words of, God, remember me in your favor. Oh, God, remember what I've done. And I don't hear that as like, God, remember me in your favor. Remember, I hear that as, God, (laughs) these people, please remember what I've done. Does anybody remember? Okay, God, you remember what I've done. He's so frustrated. He's tried everything. He left his job. He went and built a wall with them. He established a new way of life. He brought them into a beautiful culture of honor and then leaves and everything falls apart. The book of Nehemiah in chronological order is right before Malachi. So it's, it's right before the New Testament. If you were to look at the Bible from chronological order. Do you see the, the picture painted? People, great leadership, Moses, right? A great leader. You got Jeremiah, you have, you have David, you have King Solomon, you have, you have Nehemiah, you have all these leaders constantly trying to pull people back to God. And what happens is they just keep falling, they keep failing. And so what God does, we gotta send my son. We gotta send you Jesus. It's like, it's not working. I'm doing everything I can to to bring people closer to me. We gotta send you. And so Jesus leaves heaven to come to earth to be born in a manger, to be born of a virgin, to live the life that none of us could live. And then to die on a cross so that all of us are accepted. Because Jesus is our only hope. It's not Obi-Wan. <laughs> it's Jesus. He's the only hope that we have for reconciliation with God. It's not by what we do right. It's not by the religious duties that we do. It's only through Jesus. He's the only hope for each one of us in this room. We all need Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus is the only hope for humanity. He's the only hope for humanity. The things that we see It's Jesus is the only hope for everything. The brokenness that we see in this world, the the hurt that we see, the the things, the injustice that we see, it's Jesus is our only hope, guys. God had to send a son. He had to send a son so that we could have Jesus because none of us can do it right. None of us can do it all right. We all need Jesus. And just as Nehemiah taught them everything that they could learn of what it looks like to be God's people, Jesus came in the middle of a conversation with a couple of people trying to point out intricate little details about the law 
Jesus says, you're getting so focused on so many other things. Let me simplify this law for you. Here's the law. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. It's that simple. You know, whenever it gets really complicated in our heads, come back to this. Love God and love people. Back in Ezra's time, they had all this explanation of what it meant, and and you had to have all this intricate little details of what it meant. But I'm here to tell you this. If you love God and you love people, you will complete the rest of the stuff. If God is your number one priority, if your heart is surrendered over to God, and you put God first above everything else, everything else will fall in line. You will complete the rest of the commandments. That's why Jesus made it really simple for us, very clear. Love him first. Put God first. Means surrendering our life over to God, putting his way before our own. Sometimes I get really focused on, I'm gonna spend 20 minutes in prayer, you know, like like get out your phone, okay, start. Okay, God. (laughs) Um, Well, my car broke down. I don't know if you can fix that. That'd be great. Uh, you know, where this, this ritual, this religious thing of spending time in prayer, if you love God, you will enjoy prayer. It, it'll just become something natural. You're talking to your friend. You're talking to the one you love. Don't you love spending time with people you love most of the time? <laughs> So like all that other stuff, all those ideas, if you love God, his word becomes alive to you. All of a sudden you read the Bible and you're like, God, work on that area of my heart. It's not, it's not necessarily this thing of like, I don't even want to read it because there's so much there and I really feel um, um, like I feel that God doesn't love me. Where if you love God, you actually read his word and it's alive, it's living, it speaks directly to us oh, wow, that's challenging. God, I'm okay with that because I love you. The other part of love is trust. You'll trust God with all of your life if you love him. Where there's an absence of love, there's an absence of trust. But you know that you love God and God loves you, you'll start putting all your trust in him. Love God. Then Jesus says, here's something else. As you love God, Love people as yourself. Love people as yourself. Just as Jesus has loved us, we love people. Think of how Jesus loved us. He, he came from heaven to earth. So he, he comes to us. So we can love people the same exact way. Be there for people. Have, you know, listen before we talk. It's a great sign of love. Another sign of love that Jesus did was forgave us. The longer we hold on to something that somebody did, the less we're like Jesus in that. The quicker we forgive, just forgive. Just forgive and be over. Let it be done with. Jesus forgave us so much, we can just forgive. Live in that forgiveness. God says to love him and love people. 
These are two things that Jesus summed it up. He made everything that Nehemiah was trying to teach, everything that the Old Testament was trying to teach us, he made it really simple for all of us to understand. Love God, love people. So easy. As a church, that's our mission statement. Love God, love people. The reason changing the world is not at the forefront of that is because when you love God and you love people, you will change your world around you. Now, if you try to change the world without God and loving people involved, you'll burn out. I've done it. Trying to do everything for people and you're wondering, why in the world am I even doing this for these people? But if you love God and you love people, all of a sudden you just start changing the world around you. So the invite's here today, guys. Let's live out the culture that Jesus created. You know, the, the idea of just being really comfortable, get away from that and just say, God, you know, I'm gonna just trust you with my life wholeheartedly in every aspect. I'm gonna choose to trust you because I love you and I know you love me. And the other part is, is, is our heart gets callous from loving people. Have you guys ever experienced that before? Where you're just like, I don't even like people. And I'm telling you, like, Jesus says love people. And you're like, I don't even like them. <laughs> so what happens is when we try to do it without the love of God, our hearts get really hurt and really calloused. But when you put God first and you have those moments with God as you experience his love for you, you can actually outpour it to people around you. And that's God's love moving through you as opposed to like trying to work up some love for people. So let's live out that culture Jesus created as a church, as individuals in our workplace, as we leave today, in every aspect of our life to truly just love God and love people. Just remember the great words of Jesus Christ. This is what you should focus on. This is what I'm inviting you in on. It's not that complicated. Love God, love people.